0: Precinct Podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's 87th Precinct Mysteries, the genre-defining series of police procedural novels which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with the novel Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series and today's podcast is all about book number 22, Fuzz. To review the book I'm joined by two of the fuzziest people I know, Mr. Stephen Blue Suede Royston. Hello. And Mr. Morgan, let me be your teddy bear brown. <laughs> nice. Hello. I would uh, actually just like to say thanks to everyone who follows us and to everyone who responds, replies and shares our tweets and questions and things like that. Hopefully, we always manage to cover the areas of your inquiries in the podcasts. But if we don't, well, nag us again and we'll try our best. We do really appreciate your support, but in order for us to reach more listeners, we do need you to rate, review, and share the podcast wherever you can. That's more important than anything else for us. Although, if you do feel inclined to throw money at us, you can do so by buying us a digital coffee at ko-fi.com slash hark87podcast. And uh, thank you to those people who've done that already. That's very nice of you. And before we get going with this podcast, I would just like to promote the podcast that I appeared on as a guest in this past week, which is Betamax Video Club, or Betamax Video Club, I suppose, depending on which way you fall. And I was a guest on there discussing the best movie ever (laughs) made, which is The Transformers the Movie from 1986. (laughs) So look that up, because that's very good. Right. Fuzz, then. Fuzz, indeed. Fuzz, indeed. We've skipped a year since the last book. From uh, We've skipped over 1967. Mm. Clearly, uh, Evan Hunter, Ed McBain, was having too much of a good time in the summer of love. <laughs> or possibly not, I don't know. It, I think he was possibly a bit too old to, uh, to yeah. be getting involved with all that stuff. But he's back in 1968 with Fuzz, and so we'll uh, have a look at that. Now, normally what we'd do at this point is I would drag out a quiz... About the music and, you know... Carry on... Well... (laughs) uh, etc. Briefcase.
1: We will do the quiz, but we're going to do it
0: in the... uh, Not now. In the bonus episode, because we've got quite a lot to talk about for this. Although I will say, I don't think we can take it out of the main episode. Do you want to have a go at uh, guessing which carry-on film came out in 1968? (laughs) (laughs) Carry on... Cadaver, I don't know. (laughs) Carry on could, I have no idea. It's one of the more famous and popular. Uh, 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 up the Khyber. Yes, Carry on in oh, there. that. That was dealt with swiftly and fairly efficiently there. Carry on up the Khyber. Yeah. Set in like the in India.
1: It's like blatantly filmed on the British Isles somewhere. Yeah, it's I think it's since, <laughs>
0: somewhere in Wales is filmed. Yeah. Probably like, a heather <laughs>
1: everywhere and yeah.
0: Freezing cold pretending it's Baking Hot. Yeah. Classic film trickery. Everything else in nineteen sixty-eight we'll have a look at in the bonus episode so we can get on with fuzz, because it's it's got its own sort of weird significance in the mm. in the ad. <laughs> because apart from being the first one after a break of a year, it's also one that was adapted quite high profile. But just to catch up with what Ed McBain Evan Hunter was doing in the Meantime, since doing 80 Million Eyes in 66, he wrote uh, A Horse's Head, came out under the Evan Hunter name, his actual name, and a book called Last Summer, also an Evan Hunter novel. There was the episode of Ironside, I think we talked about Mm -hmm. on one of the episodes where it was basically an adaptation of the 87th Precinct story he'd written for the TV show, yep. done a few years later as Ironside.
1: I, I'd quite like to think he spent an entire year writing an episode <laughs> of Ironside. Just, just
0: changing the names in <laughs> an episode of Ironside. Yeah, really thinking Getting into that. the
1: psyche of Ironside <laughs> for yeah. nine to ten months, and then...
2: And then throwing that script yeah. out and re- rediscovering what he'd written a few years earlier in yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, happening. Popping
0: out for some liquid paper and just... <laughs> but, yeah, that came out. There was also a Theatre of the Stars TV episode called Deadlock, which was based on Killer's Wedge. Mm-hmm. There was also a French film in 1968, or French TV movie called plurien à Pèdre, which was also based on Killer's Wedge. Gosh. So Killer's Wedge, over the years, I think is the most adapted of all of the McBain stories. Wow. Well. Even more than King's Ransom.
1: And what happens in uh, Killer's Wedge again? Which one's that? That's, can we remember? Uh, yes.
0: I can remember. I can remember. Well, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that's got two main stories, but the main story is Virginia Dodge holding the up the squadron oh, squad with a yes, bomb. Yes, and
2: yes. meanwhile, uh, Corella's investigating the mysterious locked room. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah.
0: right. yes! Yeah. Oh, talking about locked room things. I finished the John Dixon car book you oh, got me, right. Steve-o. Oh, All
1: right. What did you think of that? It was excellent. Yeah, it's fair, fairly nuts, isn't it?
0: It very much so. If no one's read these John Dixon car books, I've read one and was uh, I'm Ooh, I am compelled to read some more. And yeah. what's quite good about that as well is his main character in that story, Doctor Gideon Fell, is an enthusiast of police stories and, and detective mysteries and so basically you come out of that book with a list of other books that the main character in that book has recommended you read.
2: I love things like that and um, Lawrence Block's burglar novels tend to do that as well because he runs a, a bookshop very similar to The Mysterious Place as far as I can gather. There's yeah. constant references to other crime writers and um, mm-hmm. it definitely like got me into Cornell Woolrich and, and a number of other things that I've read about in those.
0: Yes that's quite good that that's a tradition then that's carried yeah, on from from these early days, but fuzz, 1968, so the term fuzz, which obviously we're all used to just meaning the police, any idea on the derivation of that?
1: Uh, I, I don't. It, doesn't it try and explain it in here, which I didn't believe? Well,
0: the the deaf man calls them the fuzz and he sort of derogatory says it's because they're of their fuzzy logic. Now. Oh, yeah, hmm. that's it, yeah. But he's, that's not the actual derivation of mm. it, I don't mean, think. Oh, well, I don't know, Bulls. actually. I, it, 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 you'd think it would have occurred to me to try and uh, figure
2: that out before this podcast, but no,
0: well, strangely not. It's an odd thing because I almost didn't bother looking it up and then suddenly I thought, well, actually, it's just one of those things I've accepted as knowing all my right. life. Just one of those things I, I, I think of, yeah, like... Police being called
2: by sort of hippies in Hollywood, versions of hippiedom.
0: Yeah, well, as far as I could see, from the uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, defines fuzz as... <laughs> the earliest reference they've got to it is from 1929. Ooh. So not super old, but no. I suppose most modern police forces weren't much older than that anyway, really. No. so It's a quote from a thing called Stealing Through Life by E. Booth. Don't run and rank yourself. The fuzz don't know what's doing yet. Hmm. So that's presumably referring to the police. I don't know the rest. Of, I mean, we don't know the context of the rest of that quote. It might, be <laughs> might have
1: meant something totally <laughs> different, <laughs> it might yeah.
0: What they need to do is reproduce the entire book in the Oxford yeah, edition, yeah. That would be helpful. It might but
1: have got the wrong end
0: of the stick. They could well have done. But 1931, from a thing called Tramp and Underworld Slang, which is a book written by... A Tramp, guy, slanger... Look, so, let me clarify that. American tramp and underground slang. Ooh. Not just any tramp. Mm. You couldn't go to a tramp in Beijing with this information. No. It might, might be different tramp Ho- slang. Hobo speak. Nice. Universal hobo speak. Fuzz, a detective, a prison guard, or turnkey. Here it is likely that fuzz was originally fuss, one hard to please or over-particular.
2: Hmm.
0: So then there's a couple more sort of references, one from 38, one from 1959. There's P.G. Woodhouse is cited in 1961, wow. by which time I suspect it was probably well in use. Yeah. Oh, he's cited in 1971 as well, P.G. Woodhouse. Mm. He's not someone you would necessarily have thought would be a main source for police slang. Not but true. So there you go. So not particularly an old word, and it does seem a little bit, well, fuzzy in and of itself yeah. as, in mm. terms of the definition.
2: Yeah, i go with the deaf man's... Uh, Actually, it sounds at least as plausible <laughs> as the uh, as the one we've been given there, yeah. So Zoe McBain tried to find out and couldn't. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. well, He didn't have the
0: internet, did he? No. He'd have had to go to a library. But anyway, I'll tell you one of the things that I said I wanted to save some time to talk about is the publication history of this book. Because in 1966, Evan Hunter leaves the publisher he's with, and we're with a new publisher for these books from here on in, or at least for a little while we're with a new publisher and then we change again. So this is the first 87th Precinct book that is published by Doubleday in the US and also in Cigna in paperback. It's the same publishers in in the UK. But I did find in the New York Times from 1967 a thing about an auction. So I don't know anything really about publishing other than it is how books come to be (laughs) available to you to read. But this quote comes from a thing called American Notebook. <laughs> duh, 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 duh. One of the late spring's major auctions with many publishers taking part was for the future works of Evan Hunter. Doubleday day one, bidding approximately $500,000 in advance on royalties for the next nine books. Mm. Three of those will be novels. Six will be 87th Precinct books. And it says the first Hunter book will be, out under that name will be Last Summer, and the first two McBaines will be called Fuzz and Shotgun. The first finished, the second nearly, stu- nearly so. So what's quite interesting, because mm-hmm. it's 1967, he's already written Fuzz, so he hasn't been idle, he's been yeah. writing... And shotguns well underway, and that doesn't come out until sixty nine mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the impression he,
2: he didn't really, wasn't really one to kind of take a year off to rest in his laurels or anything. No, I
0: think once writing was a iron job. Side,
1: or no Ironside, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not taking a year
0: off. Blindsided by Ironside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds like a
1: great episode. That
0: doesn't it? Could be a title. <laughs> <It might laughs> exactly. Blindsided by Ironside in which he polishes his wheelchair so shiny you can blind people, <laughs> reflecting light on them. I think that would be a fine notion for a revival of the series. Someone tackles you to write an episode, would it? we have it done by the end of this. But anyway, the 87th Precinct books that come out under Doubleday, Fuzz, Shotgun, Jigsaw, Hail, Hail the Gangs All Here, Sadie When She Died and Let's Hear It for the Deaf Man. Oof. So it's double Day but the next six books I mean, is that ad. just
1: the six, does then it go to somebody else, and
0: another publisher comes in oh. after that? It's an odd one for us because actually, out of the list of books that Thomas and Mercer, the Amazon print, have, have put out now, it's one of the obvious missing ones.
2: Hmm.
0: There is an ebook available, but it's pu- published by someone completely different. And I did, I can't remember whether I mentioned this at all on the podcast before, but I did ask Jane Gelfman, Evan Hunter's agent, about this. Hmm. And she said that Amazon licensed all the available 87th Precinct and Matthew Hope novels when they did the original agreement. Some of the novels in both series were still in print with various publishers and those were excluded. Some that were not included in the original agreement were acquired by Amazon subsequently when they became available. So it's all about them trying to get the rights back. So presumably Fuzz is one of these ones that's in a weird rights issue somewhere and they're just waiting for it to... Expire. Become a, yeah, expire mm. or become available or something. Mm. My suspicion is that because it was tied into a film screenplay yeah. later on... Yeah, I guess that can uh, mess with things. Possibly, but that is just a guess, really.
1: Hmm. Plausible.
0: So when you're going to
1: talk about this film, I know nothing of this film adaptation, or do I?
0: I'm going to not say too much about the film hmm. adaptation because I'm going to have a special guest to talk about the film on a bonus podcast. Oh, right. Which I'll be recording tomorrow. And I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Right, OK. So, uh, well, there we go. What do we think about Fuzz then, generally? What's our basic overall impression? We've had 10 years of, of the 87th Precinct, and we're now moving into the next 10 years. Hmm. Have we progressed since Cop Hater?
2: I, th- I think certainly we have. I mean, come quite away, a lot of... Things of, I think as we've discussed in previous episodes, a lot of conventions have been established. Some things that were established earlier on have already been moved on beyond, and yeah, so a lot has changed. Really, even though everything kind of remains fairly constant from one book to the next, that there, there, there is definitely an evolution going on, isn't there?
1: There is indeed. Well, how long ago was the heckler? The last time the uh, deaf man made an appearance seems like a long time ago, actually. Yeah,
0: a
2: few years, so wasn't it? That yeah.
1: Yeah. That uh, is. 10 books or so ago, do you think? Yeah, something about, like uh, that. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's come along quite, quite a way. As soon as um, uh, Miranda turns up, you feel um, full steam ahead this one. Yeah, somehow. so
0: Miranda Escobedo, we talked about last episode because it was when the, the uh, Supreme Court ruling came into effect, but it didn't affect the last book we looked at, but we did say then, Hmm. I wonder if it affects this. Oh, does it ever? Yeah. And about three chapters in, suddenly you slap bang into Miranda Escobedo. So the real world seems to impact on fuzz quite a lot. Mm. And this is something when I was asking people on Twitter for their thoughts on it, some folk were saying, well, the inclusion of a lot of like politics and city structure, like commissioners, parks, commissioners, mayors, deputy mayors, police Mm. commissioners feels very real and so I did have a look to see if I could tie it into the real world at all. Mm. And this is what I found out. The mayor of New York City in the time that this book was set, and in fact for a bit longer after this was set, was a guy called John Vliet Lindsay, uh-huh. JVL. Um, when he sort of stood to be mayor of New York City, his campaign slogan was, he is fresh and everyone else is tired. Mm-hmm. Which I sort of understand the wording a little bit, but it just sounded bit... it, it. It sounds like it's been slightly badly translated from another language, doesn't it? Yeah. So apparently he's, he's not got a very good legacy as one of New York's mayors. Fair enough. If you think about what basically happened to the city between the late 60s and the early 70s, it sort of plummeted into chaos and headed towards bankruptcy. So JVL, John Vliet Lindsay, did not have a a good reputation necessarily. But the mayor in this book is called James Martin (laughs) Vale, or JMV. So it's clearly a a parallel there. um, The deputy mayor in the real world was a guy called Robert W. Sweet, who was a lawyer and judge. Don't know much about him. The parks commissioner, the equivalent of the first guy to get killed in (laughs) this book, was a guy called Thomas Hoving, or it might possibly have been August Heckscher II. Mm. Oh, let's hope it was him. What a tremendous name. Yeah and the police commissioner is the one i found most interesting because mm. the police commissioner sort of pops up as a telephone voice in this book telling off lieutenant burns quite a lot the real police commissioner in this period was a guy called howard r leary who'd come to new york in february 1966 from philadelphia mm. which in like in this story the police commissioner in this story is winding up lieutenant burns who's sort of saying well it was different where you came from. So the characters come from an outside city yeah. in exactly the same way that <laughs> Howard Leary has come from an outside city. And one of the interesting things I did find out was that Leary sort of came in as this, this police commission and he upset quite a lot of things because the, the New York police force had for a long time had had a big Irish influence in it, mm. And someone like Leary came in and he wasn't from that background. So he upset a lot of the sort of the Irish influence within the police force of which Lieutenant Burns, mm-hmm. the character in the book, is of that that yes. school of policing, really. So there was all sorts of strange stuff going on there. But it's yeah, very much a, a real-world equivalent yeah. in those characters there. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Evan Hunter McBain had met or knew these people and thought they were suitable candidates to be bumped <laughs> off in a story. I don't know. You'd imagine he'd
2: certainly have, have been reading about them in, in the news and yeah. they'd be, yeah.
0: They'd be well-known people in the oh, city. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Especially for someone writing about crime in the city. Definitely. Well. Yeah, so there was a lot of very interesting real-world stuff going on there. <laughs> as well, should you wish to know whether these are just stories, yes, they are, but with, with things like Miranda Escobedo being in and... The city structure being there does reflect New York, even though it is not New York. Indeed. I mean, I think
2: the the books always at least sort of broadly reflect the the times at which they're written. But then sometimes, like with particularly this novel, that they reflect it a bit more specifically, don't they?
0: Yeah. I've got a few notes on particular things that happen. I wondered whether either of you have any opinions on the ass Ass question.
1: <laughs> the what? The
2: what?
0: The ask ask question. I, I, I did did um, wonder ass. about that as I
2: was reading, and then I, I have seen some back and forth about this on on Twitter. So I think I know what's going on there, but it did strike me as odd that there were a lot of uh, East Coast Americans uh, saying arse a lot.
0: Yeah. So we're obviously reading UK editions. We've all got Pan editions, which again we'll talk about more on the bonus episode. And for some reason. It stood out to me like a sore thumb in this book. He uses phrases that contain the word "ass" quite a lot, like "freezing my ass off" and the delightful "getting your ass chewed out" yeah. as an expression for being, you know, shouted at or told off. When you substitute the word "ass" into those sentences, <laughs> it just sounds so strange. It, it sounds
2: daft. Doesn't Are you it? getting
0: it's... your ass chewed
2: out? Some That's some just horrible. some silly UK editor who
0: who thinks oh. British readers won't understand this. Well, that's what I don't get. how It's, yeah, American vernacular. And the same goes for spellings of things like theatre and colour mm. and stuff like that. We'd still understand it.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty certain that people weren't so sort of culturally clueless that they, they wouldn't have been able to figure out what ass meant in this context and that people weren't talking about chewing a, a donkey or yeah
0: exactly that's the thing because the only thing you can think of is that the word ass means donkey as well and yeah you can't possibly be sat in in Pan's publishing <laughs> office go checking the proofs for this uk edition i think but will he really think that he's freezing a donkey yeah. maybe they, they were genuinely confused and like what was this that must be a misspelling. Oh, people think, yeah. But although the, it's quite funny because, yeah, the word's used a lot, which is why it stood out to mm. me, as because arse keeps crumbling. <laughs> Every time you turn a page, it's an there's arse another ass leaping <laughs> out at you. Right there in your face, another arse. Except on page 24, where they are freezing their asses off. So that one slipped through. <laughs> Arses. That slipped through the ass net.
2: <laughs> I didn't even notice.
0: Yeah. But it's like axe being spelt with, with an E. Yeah. Like we couldn't work out that a word that's spelled A-X was axe. <laughs> but who am I to complain? What, well, nothing I can do about it now, really? No, I suppose not. So I think we've effectively handled the ass-arse <laughs> situation. Thank you to everyone on Twitter who helped me out with that, because obviously I don't have an American copy to refer to of, of this book. And uh, folks did kindly check yeah. and confirm ass over arse.
1: They got off their asses.
2: Yeah. We did assume that had to be the case, but you don't know unless you can actually check a, a US edition. It yeah. could, could have been that the, the entire thing had been proofread by some kind of pedent, pedantic uh, Englishman and yeah. uh, subjected all the American readers to arses as well.
0: Perhaps the uh, yeah the British invasion had been <laughs> such a, a, an important cultural event that even McBain was swept up in it. Yeah, it's like listening to Herman's Hermits and writing the word arse. <laughs> that would be brilliant. It's a bit of a... Um, Uh, the gang's all here sort of story this one, Mm. isn't it? There's quite a lot of of characters in this one. everyone gets involved. There's
1: a lot going on, isn't there? There sure is.
0: And of course, chief amongst those is the deaf man. Mm -hmm. He's back. And this is the first time he's back. Well, it's the first time he's back, but he's back now with a mission that partly he's decided is to just wind up the 87th Precinct. (laughs) So annoyed was he at getting his plans foiled in the heckler despite the fact that he blew loads of stuff up and killed loads of people, which sort of happens off-screen, as it were, he's back with a mission, a really... Well, what do you think of his plan? In terms of criminal masterminding?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a curious one, really. Um, Because, yeah, you find out he's back fairly early on, don't you? And you kind of suspect um, it, it is he... But yeah, his he's, his actual plans quite curious. Really, you just somehow think he could have done it a bit easier. I don't know, but I don't <laughs> think he's all he's all up for easy. He's, he's, easy, he's easy. not really up for. He, he no. wants people
2: to sort of stand back and um, and admire his his um, intricate plotting, doesn't he? He, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't want to take the easy way through anything
0: except that he gets to the uh, almost the end of his plan in yeah. the book and suddenly realizes he hasn't set up enough stuff to annoy the 87 yeah. president yeah. and then basically sets a trap for himself yeah accidentally
1: yeah it's a curious yeah because I really I really love this book but th- the ending is slightly naff or it's the least good bit of the <laughs> yeah. uh, of the the story of the crime that they're trying to execute—it
0: relies on such a set of coincidences happening. Yeah, it now, does. You, now
1: you know it's all the, the having you know knowing anything about the deaf deaf man. It's always coincidence that thwarts him, but this and, just seems a particularly, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, quite often as well. His own meticulousness can k- kind of be be his undoing as well, can't it? Like he he can make up this um in, in the heckler and makes up this incredibly elaborately detailed ice cream van, which then convinces people that oh, oh fuck, yeah. ice cream! <laughs> if he just just had taken a normal van, he would have just totally got away with it. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So yeah, yeah. but. um yeah, they never get to the last
1: bit of the crime in this, so no. you don't even know whether it would have worked even if he'd have not gone off to a silly little sideshow. But aside from that, it's uh, yeah, it's really good.
0: It's quite yeah. He's again, he's completely sociopathic. He doesn't mm. care about death. Uh, he just uses it as a means towards getting his end, which is more money, please.
1: There's a, there's a scene where he's a. Uh, uh, the girl describes him like humiliating the uh, the drug addict mm. as well and just being, yeah, yeah. Just, just for no particular reason, really. Well, other to, to make sure he's not disturbed during...
2: Yeah. Uh... yeah, but there's definitely other ways he could have done that, but yeah. he's got an hour to kill, so he just feels like doing something incredibly sadistic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic character, and mm. I, I still don't know whether the Moriarty comparison is the right one, Really, but I think that's just a, a a useful thing to go to when you're looking for a nemesis to refer mm. yeah. and compare yeah, to. Well,
1: he doesn't really have a. Um, I think in all the other ones, it's mainly him versus very much Corella, isn't it? But in this, Corella has virtually nothing to do with him, really. Well, it, Corella, it, it, Corella yeah. has, has, has his own, his, um, own problems. His own, he certainly does have his uh, own problems, uh, yeah. You know, so it's more the precincts as a group, isn't it, really? Uh, whereas it? certainly in the later ones, I'm sure it becomes a bit more personal with.
0: Yeah, well, and, and becomes more scheming as well, much mm. more sort of elaborate and and Byzantine oh, yeah. sort of ways of of setting his traps and his you know his tortures for the department. <laughs> yeah. But he's brilliant. You know, he's a great character, and he, it's he is one of the first things that comes to mind when you speak to a lot of people about the 87th yeah. Precinct. Which is only in six books or whatever it is, something like that. Sounds about right, isn't it? Yeah,
1: something like that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: But he makes such a big impact mm. as a as a scheming villain type thing.
1: Well, there's a, there's a great grandness to his crimes, aren't they? They're not crimes of passion or for, you know, just a, a fairly straightforward yeah. motive. They're just crimes almost for the sake of it, really.
2: Yeah. So they're, they're a proper event when you you get to a deaf Man book after after sort of about ten normal books. It's like an end-of-level body, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good way of describing it. No, it is, uh... yeah.
0: Yeah, because for all of, of me going over the parallels between the real world and police structure and Miranda Escobedo and all that stuff coming in, you can then put in, into a book the deaf man, <laughs> and he is so unlike, I assume, a normal criminal, mm. or even the ones who are super mastermind criminals in the real world. Yeah. There's no one like the deaf man.
2: Yeah, I mean, all, all issues of... Plausibility really go kind of out the window, but you don't care because it's very entertaining. Yep. Um,
0: yeah, but it does take the entire sort of squad to get involved in this this case. So let's establish the basic thing. There's threats made against city officials. The amount of money asked for each time goes up by a factor of ten
1: to stop the crimes being committed. To stop Not, the crime, yeah,
0: but the crimes are still committed. Meanwhile, Steve Carella is investigating a spate of attacks on vagrants who Mm -hmm. are basically getting doused in petrol and set on fire. And so to do so, they've set him up as a decoy cop, which is not the same as an undercover cop. No. Slightly different... Do you find anything out about decoy cops, Morgan? I, I did have a bit of a look at it, with the aid of the uh, the, the articles that you set, kindly sent me. Uh, right. I did co- find a couple of articles that referred to, sort of sideways to, to decoy cops. Because it's not something I think about. I think about undercover is like going into a place, disguised yeah. into an organisation or, or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, well, where decoy is just more sort of just putting policemen
2: in either plain clothes or, or um, in a disguise and just sort of placing them in the street, basically in the area where a crime might be committed on the off chance that someone will attempt to commit a crime, targeting them so they can arrest the criminal. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's, it's a practice which I, I think definitely has been used over many decades in, in, in the States and, and I think probably still continues today in spite of... Obviously, lots of concerns about the ethics of it.
0: Entrapment and all uh, Exactly,
2: yeah. The earliest um, reference to it I could find was, and although I'm sure it's probably used before that, an operation called Operation Decoy in New York in 1962. That's, that seems appropriate. Um, where I think there'd been a spate of muggings of women. So uh, the NYPD dressed up eight of their male officers as women and sent them off um, through Central Park looking to be mugged. And actually, uh, obviously, several of them were mugged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a couple of them had their purses snatched and were hospitalised, but they did actually catch, I think, seven people as well. It's sort of partial success, I guess. And one of the articles he sent me, I think, had, it was from 1967, wasn't it, which yeah. referred to... There was a, a character who'd been... Um, just stabbing people. He'd been going up to people, asking them if they had a cigarette, and when they said no, stabbing them to death, which is Mm. delightful. Some way to spend your time? To to try and catch this guy, uh, the NYPD dressed lots of officers up as beatniks and derelicts, according to the the New York Times, and just sent them off into rough streets in the Brooklyn area, just looking, wondering around, looking to be um, stabbed. Um, I I don't think the decoy's actually... Resulted in the arrest of of the guy who who committed these murders, but they did apparently uncover several other pickpockets and another completely unrelated murderer. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the, the, the met with some success, and uh, eventually in 1971, the NYPD set up uh, the Street Crime Unit, or what became the street, known as the Street Crime Unit, um, which is just a permanent unit just to 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 do this kind of thing, uh, largely on the subways, but also anywhere in the streets where crimes have been happening, and yeah. it resulted in a lot of a much higher arrest rate than than for any of the other departments of. Of the force, but also led to a lot of concerns. So, a, a lot of other cities set up similar forces, some of which went well, and then some of which, notably um, Detroit and Atlanta, uh, led to horrific results. I mean, um, there's, there's a, a, a scheme in Detroit called Stress. Um, for an acronym for Stop the Robberies, Enjoy Safe Streets. That's so terrible as um, it's, 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 it's appalling. Acronym, acronym, it's, a, it's a terrible even. acronym, ter- ter- terrible thing. Basically, it just gave a lot of dodgy, racist white officers um, carte blanche to um, execute black petty thieves. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, nine people were fatally shot in, in the first 11 months and... Um, at the state rep- representative Jackie Vaughan um, described it as obvious genocide against blacks, Bloody hell. and it was shut down shortly afterwards. I think in in Atlanta a similar thing: uh, twenty four civilians were were shot dead. Good grief! Whilst attempting
0: muggings. So, um, so so it's a, syst- a decoy cops on the streets is a system that works, but is massively open to massively
2: abuse. open to abuse and. I think eventually the New York Street Crime Unit was shut down after a couple of high-profile uh, incidents in the 1990s, one of which involved rapper Old Dirty Bastard being arrested. Um, wow. Just hadn't done anything. I think he he, he had his phone out and someone, uh, an officer claimed that he'd pulled a gun. Oh well, um, it's not
0: like that. Doesn't happen all the bloody time.
2: Um, yeah, so I think eventually in 1999, uh, after many cases of racial profiling um, and many um, unlawful shootings, uh, that was uh, shut down. But I think even since then, there have been instances of decoys being used. It's yeah. it's an odd thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, so so that's the tradition in which Steve Carella is is placed in this in this book. He's out as a decoy, a wino looking to be set on fire, which, of course, happens. Mm. And not only does that happen, but there's, they very quickly bandage him up and send him back out <laughs> on the streets again.
1: Yeah, it's a bit nuts, that. He's in hospital one day, and then the following day, he's back out.
0: And then yeah, he, he's yeah, he's Off fine. Off he goes. Get set on fire again. And the next time he's out, he gets the snot kicked out of him. Completely. It's just, McBain loves to torture Corella. He's like the hero character, he's the one you love, but almost every book, or at least every other book, something terrible happens to him and he ends up in hospital. And in this book, quite cunningly, actually, while he's in hospital, that removes him out of the story when they're trying to identify the person who hired the room from where the first... uh, the the Parks Commissioner was shot, and he gave his name as Mort Orecchio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Whereas if Corella was there, because he's an Italian guy he would have known that that's, that name just meant dead ear. Yep. But cunningly, he's put him out of the story. He's in hospital out of the way. And Patrolman Gennaro. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got quite a big role in this as a new character. really. Well, he's not a new character, really. He's been in lots of books yeah, he, before. Yeah, he crops
2: up from time to time, doesn't he?
0: But he, he sort of turns Wolf. up in this yeah. on his uh, way up the ranks. Bless him.
2: Yeah,
1: his moment in the...
2: What a hero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so first... It's
1: great how he manages to never tell anybody quite what <laughs> <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> when Curl is grilling him because they're in hospital at the same time, and he's, you get the feeling he's he's kind of he's sniffing out something's not quite <laughs> right about this gunshot wound, isn't he? Yeah. And you kind of think yeah, does he know, but he, he kind of never says anything.
0: <laughs> well, the central premise of this whole story is that the, the police are inept. This is what the deaf man's founding, is his whole plan on, is that they're so inept that they'll never be able to stop him. And all they do all the way through this book is prove him right. Yeah. So the, the 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 set piece in the book is the second attempt at the catching someone, picking up the money that they've dropped. Not that it's real money, they've put a decoy money and so they've staked out the park. And it's an absolutely brilliant scene. Hmm. So you've got... And I must get the, the list right here because... Yeah, just... Gen-
1: Gennaro's wearing sunglasses and patting an alcephum.
0: So he's done <laughs> uh, up on as a blind, blind, a blind just, guy. Um, you've uh, got Hal Willis and Eileen Burke... Necking. In a, necking <laughs> in a sleeping bag.
2: Yeah.
0: In the freezing cold <laughs> in a park. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure... Kling
1: Kling and Hawes are... What, are they dressed as nuns or something?
0: Kling and Meyer are dressed as nuns. So, you're basically, you've got... Kling and Meyer dressed as nuns. (laughs) (laughs) Which just, as an image in itself, is silly. You've got Willis and Burke making out in a sleeping bag. And Willis
1: enjoying it a bit too much. Yes.
0: (laughs) You've got a guy called Fork from the 88th Precinct across the park... Disguise, oh,
1: disguised as a pretzel salesman. I like the sound of that guy. He never shows up again. He'll go on about a big white <laughs> handlebar moustache. Yeah, so he can only go undercover of something
0: ludicrous like a pretzel salesman. Someone
1: yeah, who... a, it says something. He, can't, he can never do stakeouts in his own precinct where, where his moustache strikes fear into <laughs> uh, hoodlums or something, it said. I thought he like quite an interesting character, that guy. Yeah, like true. an old an old-timer cop.
0: Yeah. So he, it's yeah, he's a, again a classic McBain little mention. Never comes back, but it's just really fun in itself. But yeah, and Gennaro's been roped into this stakeout as a to pretend he's blind with a, <laughs> a, a dog that he's trained to attack and all this. And of course, when the guy comes and picks up the money, everything goes <laughs> wrong that can possibly go wrong. Willis and Burke get stuck in the sleeping bag. The, the zip inevitably. Yeah, they can't get out. Gennaro goes to sick the dog on this guy, the dog just does nothing, mm. he then stands up and shoots himself in the leg, <laughs> and then the dog licks his face, that's how effective this police dog is, and eventually they, you know, they, they get him, but it's just an absolute out and out farce, and mm. it does absolutely nothing to prevent what happens next, which is that the next person gets killed anyway it's it is a farce a lot of this book is mm. a, is a sort of farcical thing which is probably why it was considered for the film yeah because the film is a sort of comedy drama yeah they don't have a good good time of it the cops in not this particular no.
1: although a lot of dogged police work uh, as their successful investigation of um the guy they're pursuing that they are yeah. pursuing well he he's not He's involved in some crime. The, the guy who picks up the yeah, money. So the, but the
0: first person they get for trying to collect the, the, the money for the deaf man turns out to not have anything to do with the deaf man. But, <laughs> but they do, yeah, there's the, a the, massive the, thread of investigation. Yeah, they've within. kind
1: of not, got nothing else to go on. And then they wiretap, tap, and then he's involved in passing some crime. So they end up just following that.
0: And in yeah. typical McBain style, eventually everything <laughs> starts to wind together. Some good scenes in
1: that though. I, I like the scene where uh, um Meyer goes playing pool. Uh,
0: oh yeah. So that's undercover, that's, not decoy. Yeah, that's yeah, Absolutely. So he goes undercover as a like a dock worker who's yeah, playing
1: pool. Yeah, yeah. he plays it really well, doesn't he? And look, the guy starts teaching him how to play and he's, he you get the feeling he's quite yeah, enjoying it
0: really. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of lovely little scenes in the story. And there's there's a few interesting callbacks as well actually. Um Two in particular is one of the things a deaf man does to try and sow a bit of chaos is he, he gives the press an anonymous tip about these threats made to city officials because oh, yeah. they haven't released any information. Yeah, yeah. So loads of reporters start getting uh-huh. involved and ringing up amongst them is Cliff Savage. Yeah. Is he Cliff Savage? Who we've hated since <laughs> book one because he almost got Teddy Carella killed from publishing a story. And this, they similarly give him short shrift here. As they normally do.
1: Is that lawyer at the end, has he been in it before as well? Baum or whatever he's called. He seemed a bit familiar, but I don't know whether it was just...
0: Oh, well, that's something we haven't mentioned. Uh... Maya Maya is getting wound up by people at the start of this, this story. They're sort of going, how does it feel to be famous, Maya? It's oh, like, yeah. what's going on? And it turns out that someone's written a book called Maya Maya about some school teacher. And he's determined to sue this person. So, his little story going on in the background that he's trying to. He, he rings up the assistant DA to try and look for advice on this. It's, you know, complete waste of city time, basically. And I think that's who you're thinking of, is of the assistant DA that he speaks to in this.
1: No, no, no. Oh, no, no. I know. No, I it's know. the lawyer at the end.
0: You're right, Steve I apologize, yeah, Ro- I apologise. Yeah, he's Roly, Ro- Ro- isn't
1: it? With. The guy he's. Uh... Yeah, yeah, and then the other ridiculous kind of pantomime that's going on is when they've got the painters in oh, as well. Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> kind of a just a bit of an irrelevant storyline, but uh, covering it's, it's, it's,
0: everyone in green apple green. <laughs> paint. It's quite
1: funny, and then loads of stuff gets uh, swiped, doesn't it? And they fa- yeah. they find it in the. Um, some hawk shop at the end, and it's got a green fingerprint on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a busy book. This yeah, well, yeah it is. Yeah, but that's... one of the, yeah, one of the other things I spotted, and this I've got to give a shout out to our friend Stella here for saying, is this a reference to something? And I found it when they pick up the second guy who collects the fake money. He says about meeting someone at a place outside a cinema called the Corona. Boarded up cinema, and he keeps saying, "You know the place." A cop got shot outside there Mm. once, and I was trying to work out where it was because I don't think that it's named. But in Cop Hater, in the very first book, in the very first chapter, the very first death is Detective Mike Reardon (laughs) in Cop Hater, and he is gunned down outside of a boarded up theater, movie theater. (laughs) So that is a proper McBain Easter egg throwback to the first book. And I don't think it's named, but it's got to be that, because that's yeah. the only place, like, I think, where a cop is, is, is gunned down oh, outside the movie theatre. makes
1: perfect sense. I don't know whether... You were saying it's a very busy book. I don't know whether we can get the uh, the bingo card that one of the listeners prepared, but I reckon this book would nearly score 100% on that.
0: Yeah, it's, on it's the, got uh, tonnes of stuff. It's uh, got a lot.
1: Even if it doesn't necessarily dwell on them very long, sometimes there's... Uh, um, yeah, there's so many. Well, they've definitely little... got the
0: comedy characters in there. Oh, as yeah, well. yeah. So yeah. not just the, a, a paint, the painters. You've got Sadie the Nut, who is a serial uh-huh. rape confessor. Yes. Comes in and confesses to having seen this rape artist. Who wears a pulls cape
1: and a dinner jacket.
0: And undoes his flies slowly so she doesn't scream until he's, you know...
1: And Andy Parker has to go out on the stakeout or something and then they all claim it's him. <laughs> There's lots of him swivelling in chairs as well in this. Yeah. He's such an
0: immobile lump for the most part that the painters almost cover him in a cloth and just just leave him there. But also there's the the guy that Corella's talking to when he's back out of hospital again, who comes in to complain that every morning he goes out to his car and his car's been filled with garbage. Oh, yeah. Corella's talking to him in Italian, so this whole scene plays out in Italian. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> every morning I wake up, someone's just filling my car with garbage, and we're just left with that. And there's yeah. no no resolution, no. it's just one of those weird things that happens in the 8 7. Well, when, when I finished reading this, I thought, it, it, that,
1: yeah, I wonder whether it was longer than the others because it just feels to be a little bit more going on, but don't think it is. It's just well, kind of like just uh, manages to um,
2: cram a lot in there, really. I think it
0: yeah, it might be a touch longer. Rattles along yeah. at a fair old it's pace It's pr- pretty well. rapid fire, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah.
2: Yeah. He still manages to yeah get all of the uh, the standard things in and a few
0: unexpected extras like the Maya Maya... Um, the book thing. The book yeah. thing. Oh, one of my favourite things in here as well. And we're all music fans and we've all listened to, and in fact, in some cases, been in bands with stupid names. But there's... <laughs> oh. When yeah. when the when the informant Fats Donner he's here. He's, so there's a yeah, he's he's stampede in here. Yeah. Just tick got, on the card. Got everything. He he alerts them to a guy called Dom who's in a band, and he's in a band called the Coaxial Cable, <laughs> which is the most <laughs> stupid name for a band I've ever heard. It's just like that's a proper look around the room. And just, yeah. It's like oh, the TV's <laughs> unplugged. What can I see? Oh, a coaxial <laughs> cable out the back of it. Unless that was something particularly futuristic-sounding in 1967, 68. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, would you go and see a band called
2: The Coaxial Cable? The the Coaxial Cable from Green Bay, Wisconsin. (laughs) not so much, no.
0: (laughs) I was trying to think of a silly band name then, and I didn't really come up with one. I can't think of an actual one at the moment.
2: There are so many that I can't think of any either.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Given I used to be in a band called Hillary and the Democrats, I might make some enemies. With that name nowadays. (laughs) Lock her up. (laughs) (laughs) By the records. (laughs) You'd say that this story might have a happy ending because obviously the deaf man gets thwarted. The firebugs setting the people on fire get apprehended. All that stuff. Everything comes together.
1: There's a bit of a bloodbath though as well, isn't there?
0: Yeah, but it comes together in the most bizarre Coincidence scene, where uh, yeah, I don't want to go on too much about that. We, you know, our spoiler policy is there is no spoiler policy, but actually, the those little moments are worth yeah, worth leaving silly. for you to look up and 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 discuss. save to say, it is highly coincidence driven. <laughs> <laughs> highly coincidence driven, and actually, possibly, again, an oblique reference to the film is he might have had a better way of dealing with that in the film, possibly. But, you know.
1: <laughs> well, did, did have none to do the film adaptation? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. He, so you revised his ending, did he? Yeah. Oh, right. Well, yeah, to some extent. Kind of.
0: Only, yeah. only a little bit, but enough that a new viewer wouldn't have to rely on some of the things that an established reader would have, have to rely on, or someone who's read the book, which has different ways of dealing with yeah. the yeah, yeah. information, getting the people to the places they need to mm. be in the story. Alright, ah, okay. Interesting. Mm. Interesting indeed. <laughs> okay. I have a feeling we need to be summing up in <laughs> a second. And I really should well, I'm just gonna have to get Kenneth out of here. Well aren't like I? you
1: are, yeah. Excuse
0: me, all right. And there. very
1: specifically I want to know what the heckler scored.
0: That's a, yeah, that's a very good point actually. Mm.
1: That is my primary question when Kenneth's tri valves are uh, <laughs> at optimum temperature.
0: Well, I can tell you that. <coughs> excuse me, a little bit of smoke from the dust burning off Kenneth's transistors there <laughs> got into my throat. That the Heckler scored fairly highly on this mm-hmm. chart. It scored about 86 or something like that. <laughs> so, one of the top end ones. There's
1: a. I, 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 I like me. Uh, display. Oh my god! <laughs> 80 million <laughs> <laughs> eyes. Bloody hell. I Like the sepia tone as well. Right. Okay. Well, there we go.
0: Kenneth is available on our blog. So if you want to see what we've scored and da, da, da. the various pattern that has well the various pattern the it, pattern that has emerged it, from the various books spe-
1: we've read, it spells something as well. It spells mmm. <laughs> spell lots that. of
0: graph. Lots of line graph. Spell mmm. <laughs> or. <laughs> spends on whether you're a positive person or a negative person anyway. so really what i need to do then is i'm gonna to go to Stevo because i feel you've gotten a me you know a positive opinion yeah this. i do
1: yeah i think it's really good lots going on very funny uh 90
0: 90 that's Oof.
1: a very solid score blimey i think it's in the higher echelons Maybe I've just got a soft spot for the deaf man, I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, he, he's sort of almost worth a bonus set of points. Oh, he is. Yeah. But just by virtue of his. I trainers. always like his
1: sidekicks as well. He always has, like, yeah,
0: people who are just, Yeah. Well, in this book, he's got only a sort of gang of three.
1: Some of his sidekicks try to murder him in one of them, don't <laughs> yeah. they? So they, yeah.
0: That's yeah. Those ones where really they're more like a sort of caper squad where everything goes yeah, horribly wrong. These are just. Well, uh... he's got a gang of three in this. One guy's a sort of disgruntled ex city works guy, so he can get hold of the plans and and yeah. blueprints of like power Stuff. lines and things. Yeah. He's got a bomb making expert, yeah. and he's got a girl who just sits at the piano and tries to play <laughs> heart and soul and can't manage it. <laughs> heart and soul is that one that's dun 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 as their version goes, so yeah, that was a lovely rendition.
1: It was. So yeah, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go nice and high.
0: So you've just gone, in case you guys push it down a bit. Well, I'm going to go for not ninety, but I'm going to go for eighty. Mm-hmm. The only reason being that the I think the coincidence at the end does make you sort of go a, a bit sort of pa. But I do generally, generally like the tone of the thing. It is more comic than many of them. It is you, it is funnier.
1: You can also see the uh coincidence a little way off in Because I couldn't quite remember how it ended, although you you always remember that he gets by coincidence. But when where the where the the person's MV what's his initials? Uh JMV. JMV you just thought suddenly Mm, that's a bit weird. What? Why? Why is it not a name and initials? And yeah, so you do see it coming some way off, really. That yeah, it's, that, it's that a, a bit of an means. odd one. Yeah.
0: But like I say, yeah, it's a good. It's a, it's a. It's a sort of a more comic novel, although the actual threats and things are still very real world. A fairly
1: high death count, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and there's a lot. You know, the, the the setting fire to vagrants is a really horrible story. Yeah, it is really um, horrible. Yeah, and. The sociopathic nature of the death man is just, you know, something to behold. Like Burns
1: and his um, conversations with officialdom as well; they're, they're they're quite
2: well done.
0: When he gets his arse chewed out. Yeah. So, what, what about you,
2: Morgan? Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I I agree with you a bit about the coincidental way everything coalesces at the end. Yeah, but you know that that's fine, really. I do enjoy it. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. I feel like because there's so much cool stuff going on, the deaf man's kind of part of the plot almost gets a little bit sidelined more than it would in in any other book that he's in. Yeah, he, I, I like yeah. it when you get a bit more of like the background of, of his stuff. You get a bit more of the kind of development of the plan. Because sometimes those, those deaf man novels can feel a bit more like something like a... A sort of um, Richard Stark kind of novel where you're seeing it from the kind of criminal's yeah. point Not of like, view that's and that, that's uh, I love that And you get a little bit less of that in this so I can't rate it as highly as the heckler I think I'll go with 80 as well
0: oh right okay yeah
2: the uh, that
1: is true because I was reading this uh, and it's a good must be a good over halfway before you get the deaf man's own scenes yeah. well and you start reading it thinking oh perhaps it's Perhaps he, you you just get to see it from the side of the, the police in this one.
0: Out of, you... out of 14 chapters, we don't actually meet the, the deaf man in person mm-hmm. until chapter 9. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. So he is held off for, for quite a while. mm
2: mm-hmm. yeah, we Which it, it does work in its own right. It's fine. It's just, I guess, and I guess if you're just coming to the novel for the first time, it wouldn't bother you, but just because I've read a bunch of the other ones, I'm kind of yeah. thinking, ah... I'd love to know what the deaf man's up to at the moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, that gives us a classic Kenneth score of 83 police shields. So, it's up there at the top. It's pretty good. It's it's in the upper quartile. I don't know how to do data words. Well, we'd have
1: to. I'm sure that will be, yeah.
0: So, that's Fuzz dealt with, at least the book anyway. Now, what I teased earlier is I'm going to do a separate podcast about the film. I have some facts and figures about that that we've not talked about here. But I've invited to join me on that John Rain of Smirsh Pod, a man given to exploring icons of cinema, mm. with Smirsh being season one being all about Bond, season two having been all about Michael Caine. And he's a a fan of Burt Reynolds, so I took this opportunity to drag him in and we're going to talk about the film Fuzz. Is Burt Reynolds in it? He's Corella. Cool. (laughs) What what year was this? 1972. Mm, So, Deliverance year? Just before
2: Deliverance it came out. Am I right in thinking it's Yul Brynner as the deaf man? (laughs) Yes, it is. With his famous uh, blonde locks. Yeah.
1: This it's, sounds this sounds
0: great. Well, it's fair <laughs> What's to say, it called? It's called Fuzz. All oh, right. It's fair to say that quite a few changes have been made to accommodate the casting throughout the thing. And, well, do you know what? If you want to find out more, listen to the podcast where I've done it, which will be out a couple of weeks after this or what? 10 days after what, this or something. What have you got this film on to watch? I've got it on DVD and we can all watch it. Excellent. Oh. It's, yeah. It's a film I have a feeling I might watch more than, you know, the couple of times I've already watched it. But... I wouldn't, this isn't a spoiler, but I wouldn't say it's a brilliant film. No. I... There may be a reason that you're asking me questions about who's in it. Yeah, it's, it's not one that sort of um, loomed large and... Uh... No, it's <laughs> it's no French connection or any, you know anything of that type of era of cop films set in cities from the sort of 70s. It's the Academy
2: not... Award goes to... Burt Reynolds, Fuzz. <laughs> I, I seem to recall seeing a... Um, one of the original posters for it, which made it look a bit more like Carry On Up the 87th Precinct. Ooh. Um, Ooh. <laughs> well, someone on, um, oh, my God. That Now, that is something <laughs> that we need to explore in the Carry
1: On oh, Up the 87th Precinct. Who would be who? Well, this is it. Some, bonus on twi- episode. Tune in. On our Twitter feed,
0: one of our listeners, one of our, our friends, did send the phrase Carry On Corella. Oh, to which I said, I can't. I can't even deal with that right now as a concept.
1: Sid James as no, Lieutenant don't, Burns. Don't start. Oh, oh, we need to explore this.
0: Well, we'll be doing the bonus episodes soon, so who knows what's going to crop up in that? But we will be back with our next book before too long, and that next book, book number twenty-three in the series, is Shotgun. That's Shotgun says all you need to know really Mm -hmm. not since axe has there been such an (laughs) obvious title really so we'll see you soon for that so until then i'm going to say goodbye and i'll let these gentlemen say goodbye as well goodbye fairly well